tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Hello, it's Monday, <laughs> and you must be getting tired of this, but uh, I actually set everything up with my computer, now it won't go to the first reading, but let's pray, that always helps, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace. Well, I just said that, but... He's worth it twice. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell, Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Okay. Today is the Feast of St. Luke, and according to the tradition, Luke is a convert to Judaism, uh, who was originally a Greek, uh, and he was uh, then, of course, converted to Christ. And very interesting that uh, he seems to have been a kind of, oh, maybe we'll call him a secretary, and there's some tradition that uh, St. Paul calls him a dear and glorious physician. He might have traveled uh, with Paul as kind of a medical person even, but um, um, there are people who will dispute that, but eh, it's an old tradition. And uh, one thing that, that one can say about Luke and his, um, his Greekness is that the first four lines of the, new, of the Gospel of Luke, which is attributed to Luke, are the best Greek in the Bible. They're, they're very, uh, they're, it's very elegant Greek. And uh, it follows the rules of an introduction, uh, Your Excellency Theophilus. And very interestingly, people always, it's translated usually, those who are ministers of the word. But when you look at the word uh, eyewitness, autopti, that's a legal term. And the, the, the autopti uh, legalness is reflected in that phrase, ministers of the word, because you see... Hipparetes uh, 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 could mean an assistant, and logos doesn't mean what we mean by word. It could easily mean a uh, law case. So it's thought that uh, by by some real scholars that that Luke and Acts were a kind of defense of uh, um, Paul, uh, sort of a, a a legal document. I, I think that's interesting. 
Uh, so, well, let's let's go on to um, let's go on to the the text. Uh, Demas, enamored of the present world. I don't think we know much about Demas. Uh, I looked it up and couldn't find a whole lot about Demas. Let's see what they have to say about Demas. Uh, he's mentioned as a fellow worker in Philemon. Uh, he's mentioned with Luke, uh, and um, uh, he abandons um, Paul. Now, there's another uh, non-canonical book um, uh, that mentions him, uh, the Acts of Paul and Thecla, which which is much later and not not biblical. Then we got Crescens, who uh, he was a uh, he's considered a saint and. Very interesting. We'll talk about him later. He's considered, he was one of the 72 disciples. I will explain that. Or they're called in the East the 72 apostles. Um, then this Crescens, uh, uh, he went on to become a bishop uh, uh, of, I believe, of, of uh, an area in Turkey. Um, so uh, very, what was it, an area in Turkey? Uh, he, he was... Um, uh, yeah, in Galatia. It's very interesting. Galatia is a part of Turkey where they spoke a language related to Gaelic. Uh, they were they were Gauls, hence Galatia. So this is who we're reading about in the um, in the text. Uh, and to me, this text is one of the most poignant in the scriptures. It's a very sad text to me because he says, "I'm here alone uh, with with." Uh, with Luke, um, and he says, "Get Mark and bring him with you." Now, remember, if you if you remember the Acts of the Apostles, uh, Paul and Mark had had a falling out. They they were not, um, you know, Mark wanted to go back. Uh, they were entering a very dangerous part of Turkey. Mark was a a cousin of Barnabas's, and well, Mark didn't want to continue. And some of the early church fathers said because he missed his mother. So um, he didn't con continue with them in a dangerous area. And so there was a bit of a falling out. But we see here that he's reconciled. Mark uh, seems to have been a kind of administrative uh, help to both Paul and to Peter. So um, Tychicus is another, just another worker with them. But it's kind of interesting when you come back, bring the cloak. That's, I think the word is, what is the word? It's, I think, phaleron. Uh, it, it, it is an overcoat. It's, it's not just any kind of coat. It's an overcoat, which implies that it's getting cold. Um, let me see if I got the word yet. It's a, no, not a phaleron, a, phil, a phylonine. A phylone was an overcoat. Now, I've heard people say that it actually could have referred to a liturgical vestment. Maybe. I, I don't know. Um, you see, the, a chasuble was actually an ancient Roman overcoat. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a conical vestment. Not comical, conical. I've seen a lot of conical ones, believe me, as in funny. But uh, this is conical. The original uh, chasubles were actually kind of like copes that were sewn up the front. And uh, it had a head for the hole, and the cloth went down on all sides. It was a semicircle of cloth that was sewn up front. And if you've ever seen a conical vestment, they are really hard to deal with. That's why the Greeks cut out the front, and the Westerners cut out the side. And the chasuble is a symbol of love. Over all these put on love. In other words, this is the overcoat of the Christian spiritually. 
And, uh, uh, you know, the Greeks cut out a little bit of the love from the front, and we cut out a little bit of the love from the sides to make it easier to move. And I think there's a kind of funny symbol there. But if you've ever seen a conical vestment or being a clergyman wore a conical vestment, most of what you do is to kind of fumble about to get your arms out of the sides. Uh, it's It's kind of... I think it's interesting, but then again, I'm easy that way. Uh, but it was an overcoat, and it implies that this things are getting cold. He's in Troas, which is uh, northwestern Turkey, and it can get cold there. And uh, he also asks for two things. He asks for uh, the Biblia, but especially the Membranas. Uh, he's asking for the Biblia. Or the Biblia, I'm sorry, wrong accent. They were made of parchment. Uh, parchment was a kind of, uh, or not parchment, yeah, parchment. Uh, um, this would just have been a scroll, but he asked, oh, no, I'm looking, I'm looking at the wrong word. Uh, the, the membrana was a parchment. And you gotta know the difference between the, the, the parchment and the papyrus. We will explain. Let me, come on, come on, computer work. Oh, well, well, I'll, I'll wing it. Oh, there it went. Uh, it's a papyrus roll. Papyrus was from, was made only in the delta of Egypt. It was, it was fairly expensive. It was made of reeds. You, you take some reeds that there was a sticky gum in them. You open them up and beat them out. Then you put another layer on, uh, crosswise and beat that. And then you dried it and it made a very good writing paper. That was, that was a, a papyrus from which we get the word paper. And a biblion, a biblion, I'm sorry, uh, was uh, made of 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 this kind of paper, this papyrus. But a membrana was a sheepskin. It was very, very valuable, uh, very expensive. Uh, and if you wanted something permanent, if you wanted a permanent uh, uh, document, you put it on. Uh, Part, or on, on parchment, on animal skin. Uh, scrolls of the law were always written on animal skin. So, so Paul is is alone, except for Luke. S somebody deserted him, and then Alexander the coppersmith, who we know pretty much nothing about. Let me see. I looked him up. What what we got about Alexander? Alexander the coppersmith. Um, uh, he may have been uh, identified with Alexander. In First Timothy 120, uh, who Paul handed over to Satan that they may not learn not to blaspheme. So he's having problems with with his fellow Christians, which to me is a very very important and a very poignant thing. He, he's having yes, someone is. Uh, the voice in my head just asked me a question. Um, the uh, 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 where was I? The actual. Um, uh, the, 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 the situation with uh, Alexander the coppersmith um, and Demas point out that, you know, we, we like to think of the early church as kind of perfect, and it wasn't. It was very difficult. There was a lot of trouble with it, um, just as we have now. You know, we always talk about the good old days, the early church, when things were perfect. It wasn't perfect. And Paul, winter's coming on. He's alone in this in this city. Uh, the Christian community is tiny and it seems divided and uh, he's asking to bring some things that are kind of expensive that, well, 
you know, he's cutting corners financially. So I find this text of scripture one of the most poignant, one of the most difficult possible sections of scripture. Um, it, may, it, it brings me back to that time, and it's just very, very sad. So, you know, we look at the church today, we look at our parish, and things aren't perfect. Guess what? They weren't perfect then. Things are not like they used to be, but, well, then again, they never were. Okay, um, let's go to the gospel briefly. I'm sorry for the noise. I have no control over it. Oh, dear. All right, Jesus appointed 72 disciples. And by the way, it's thought that Titus, who's mentioned in the first reading, uh, I think Titus is in there. It's, yeah, Titus goes to Dalmatia, which is Yugoslavia. Um, uh, it's the coast uh, uh, in Croatia. Croatia would have been would have been Dalmatia. So he's sent there, and eventually he becomes a bishop of Crete. I believe Crete. But uh, he was counted, as was Luke, among the 72 disciples. Uh, he sent them ahead of him, and he, he, this is a, a, a part of the text that I don't really understand. Um, but I, I've kind of warred with it and come to this conclusion uh, that if there's a man of peace, uh, your peace uh, will 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 remain with him. And remember, peace was a great deal more than uh, just, you know, the lack of bother. It really meant welfare. When I ask you in Hebrew, uh, how are you doing? I say, maha shalomcha. How's your shalom? Shalom is welfare, your well-being, not, not, not the government system welfare, but your well-being. Uh, that's, that's what peace is. And uh, you can ask, um, uh, how's it going? <laughs> it implies everything. That, that's kind of the idea. Shalom has to do with, 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 with everything you need spiritually as well as material for life. And so we're asked to, to pray for a blessing for people. And the blessing, if they're worthy of it, um, We'll, we'll stay there. That's the closest I can come to understanding that. It's not like some magical thing. Um, so, uh, also, the, this phrase, the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, that always sounds like, of course, my computer won't work here, but I'm pretty sure I can wing this. Uh, that always sounds, you're, 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 um, the kingdom of God is at hand. I think the text really has, really is saying, the kingdom of God has drawn near. Uh, it's a verb. Now, when we read the kingdom of God is at hand, um, we, we think that means, well, Jesus is going to come in a few minutes. I don't think that's what the text means at all. Uh, the, uh, it literally says, the moment has drawn near the kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God. It's Kairos um, um The time has been, the moment has been fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is drawn near. Now, I'm always telling you the kingdom means royal nature, the royal nature of God. In the person of Jesus, it's drawn near, and it's very interesting that uh, uh, it's it's a present kingdom. When Jesus says elsewhere, the kingdom of God is among you or within you, it can be translated either way. It's a present kingdom. It's not at the end of time. The fulfillment of the kingdom is at the end of time, perhaps. But 
this royalness of God is drawn near. Where Jesus is, there's the kingdom of God. I heard someone say once that the king, where's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the heart where God is king. And I think that's, that's well put. Um, God's royal nature is drawn near in the person of Jesus. And it isn't like the regular royal natures to which we are accustomed. Well, the, the lawn mowing has seemed to have moved on. Um, which means I think it's time we went to mass hysteria. We come to your feast. We come to your feast. With the fruit of our hands and the work of our hands. I... For this, we gave up Gregorian chant. I want you to picture the crucifix, the cross. It might, I, this may seem a little blasphemous, but it's an exercise in absurdity. Picture Calvary in your mind. Uh, the Mass is the unbloody representation of the sacrifice of Calvary. Now I want you to picture a chorus of singers swaying on the side. We come to your feast. You know, that Mass is not what we want it to be it isn't as i'm always saying in entertainment it isn't a feast it's a it's a it's a it's a communion sacrifice but um at any rate there's something i want to play for you because i mentioned this the other day about about uh, uh the horror of the same old thing why don't you hit it dear voice in my head my dear wormwood the real trouble about the set your patient is living in is that it is merely christian they all have individual interests, of course, but the bond remains mere Christianity. What we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of mind I call Christianity and. You know, Christianity and the crisis. Christianity and the new psychology. Christianity and the new order. Christianity and faith healing. Christianity and psychical research. Christianity and vegetarianism. Christianity and spelling reform. If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. Substitute for the faith itself some fashion with a Christian colouring. Work on their horror of the same old thing. The horror of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions we have produced in the human heart. An endless source of heresies in religion, folly in counsel, infidelity in marriage, and inconstancy in friendship. The humans live Well, there you go. <laughs> humans live in time, and they are destined for eternity. That's his point here. You know, the same old thing. I shared with you last week, maybe I'm not sure it was Friday or Thursday, fainting goat syndrome, that we are victims in our world of fainting goat syndrome, that things have to be more exciting, and then when we get used to that exciting thing, we have to make it even more exciting or the kids won't come. And what, 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 uh, that of course was an excerpt from the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, a, correspond a correspondence between two demons. And an exorcist I know said that he would love to know where C.S. Lewis got that stuff because it is right on spot. It is absolutely perfect. He, he, it, it, you know, people are fascinated by exorcism. The best book on the devil. And the least harmful, as far as I can tell, the least weird, is the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It is, it's a masterpiece. But, you know, the, the horror of the same old thing is one of the devil's cleverest tricks, and he's injected that into the liturgy. 
that we have to have something new and wonderful. I, re I remember one of my professors, who was the head of the liturgy department, when I was in seminary, one year we no longer had daily Mass. And when he was asked why we were no longer having daily Mass, just Mass a few times a week, he said, Oh, we can't we can't work ourselves up into into that level of I don't know if he didn't use the word frenzy, but that's what he implied. In other words, that emotional high point of of daily mass, you just couldn't do it every day. It would just be too much, and that's the kind of shallowness uh, with which um, <laughs> with which we were which we were taught in seminary, and it has infected, I think, so many mass goers, and. The, 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 uh, in this same, this is chapter 25 of the Screwtape Letters, uh, and I always feel John Cleese reading it brings it to life. Now, uh, I, again, I really recommend that book to you on so many levels. But the, the, the idea of novelty in mass and novelty in music, well, if C.S. Lewis is right, is, is demonic. It's demonic. And, and we've allowed that, well, Saint Paul the Sixth uh, said, "The smoke of Satan has entered the church," and I think that that, uh, of course, the attack on the liturgy uh, <laughs> is certainly a demonic thing. So this idea that the same old thing is is um, uh, is is somehow undesirable. On the contrary, uh, C.S. Lewis makes the point: we live in time; we're destined for eternity, and so we have what's called the liturgical calendar that we desire as human beings permanence and change. And the liturgy, as it is traditionally uh, celebrated, reflects that. We have the preparation for Christmas, and then we have the, the, the 12 days of Christmas, and they end with the Magi, and of course we have the, the Holy Innocents, and then uh, we have the baptism of the Lord, then ordinary time, and then we go to Lent, and then the, the beauty of Holy Week and the joy of Easter, and this cycle continues. And to celebrate the feasts of the, of the calendar is, is, is integral to the liturgy. You know, uh, uh, the feast of St. Nicholas. Oh, on December, I think it's December 6th, a wonderful preparation for Christmas in which you can, uh, uh, um, uh, tell kids, oh, this is a, this is a Saint Nicholas, this is Santa Claus's feast day, and and edge them into it. There's so many wonderful things to celebrate in the Christian year, and uh, instead we decide we're going to have uh, liturgical dancers with giant paper mache heads cavorting about in various states of undress because, well, we have to make it interesting. <sighs> Good luck with that. All right, let's take a break, and uh, we will move on to hopefully the lawnmower will go away, and we'll come back with letters. Oh, 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We'll be back, God and the Virgin willing. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. 
Yes, yes, the lawnmower, I think, is gone now. And um, as Deacon O'Leary says, this is an hour of broadcast completely untouched by professionalism. That said, let's go to letters. Well, I answered a question that Anna wrote in, uh, Anna Maria, but it wasn't a question that she asked. So she she wanted to know about the prophets who were killed. Um, Jesus says, you're responsible. I will send them prophets and apostles. Some of them they will kill and persecute. There's only one of the Old Testament prophets mentioned in the Bible, as far as I know, who was killed, and that was Isaiah. The tradition is that he was put in a log and sawed in two. Kind of a grisly end. But you have to remember, there were lots and lots of prophets. Uh, There's something called the Lives of the Prophets. Uh, We have, for instance, Uriah. Uh, And, of course, my my computer. (laughs) It's not a lawnmower. It's a computer. Uh, I'll just have to wing it. There's a book called The Lives of... Ah, there it is. Uh, There are... um, uh, 23 prophets mentioned in this in this text the lives of the prophets which is a a, a jewish work um which survives in christian manuscripts uh prophets you've never heard of like uh um oh gosh um joad uh he's mentioned the antiquities of the jews zechariah who we mentioned uh who is in the bible there's all sorts of them and the the um uh this the in the in in the Jewish tradition, you find oh gosh, I forget uh, was it Maimonides, uh, one of the one of the Jewish uh, um, authors uh, um, talks about prophets. There's a Uriah, for instance, who's mentioned in the book of, of Jeremiah, um, and of course he is beheaded. So there were lots of prophets. You read about the schools of the prophets. So there were more prophets in the Old Testament that are mentioned in the scriptures, and many of them met violent deaths. So I hope that that helps a little bit, Anna Maria, and I hope I'm answering the actual question, which you are actually asking. Now, let's see here. Um, Okay, click that button, click that button, and now uh, the... um, I've got a letter here from Sister T in which she sends, she said, your past few shows, you seem so down about church music, especially contemporary music. So I found some of my favorites to cheer you up. Mm, let's see if they cheer me up, sister. I'm not sure. Uh, they're, they're, they look nice. Uh, they are in Latin, so they, they're, they might cheer me up. They're tese. Uh, I'll listen to them, sister. But as for cheering me up, don't forget, I am from a German background. All right, let's see here. Um, you know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> the voice major said, worry is your love language. No, it's our favorite sport. You know, we don't, it isn't football or soccer, whatever we call it, and it's, um, it's worry. All right, this is from Patrick, discussing with a Baptist co-worker when Jesus changed Peter's name from Simon to Peter. He said that Jesus named him Petra. And then said, on this rock, but the rock is Petros. No, the word for rock is Petra, and he named him Petros. The problem is one of, of, um, uh, gender. We don't worry so much about gender in English. In fact, is we, we're getting really strange about it. But in most languages, 
uh, Indo-European languages, you have feminine and masculine endings, and you also have neuter, which means not either, ne uter. But you couldn't call a man Petra, because that would imply he was a woman, and they didn't do that. They weren't like us that way. And so you had to put the masculine ending, which was OS in Greek and US in Latin, among other endings. So it's the word rock masculinized as a title. So very clearly in the scriptures that Jesus calls Peter the rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And he's standing in front of the great rock at Caperna or at, uh, um, come on, brain, the great rock uh, in, in northern um, Jerusalem, uh, Caesarea Philippi, where, which was dedicated to the, the pagan gods. And he was saying, that's just a rock. But you're the real rock. And he also was talking about the Eben Shatia, the foundation stone in Jerusalem, both the, the foundation stone in Jerusalem and the great rock, which was one of the sources of the Jordan in Caesarea Philippi, were considered entrances to the underworld. And so that's why he says the gates of the underworld will not prevail. Peter, you're more than that. So in the context, it's very clear what Jesus is saying. And uh, um, it's just, you know, trying to deny the reality of the papacy. And I really do believe Jesus founded the papacy. So there you go. So I hope that helps a little bit. Now we have a very interesting question. Where did communion on the tongue originate? And it's very hard to say. In the first few centuries, it became much more common. Uh, as an increase, uh, an increased devotion uh, for um, uh, the the sacredness of the body and blood of the Lord. Now there are all sorts of people who say no, no, no. That that uh, uh, it was from the very beginning, and I don't think I, you know, I don't think that's true. Texts like uh, Cyril of Jerusalem and Theodore of Mopsuestia, uh two early Christian authors, and they were not that early. They were you know, they were four hundred ish. Um, you know, three and a half centuries after, after the Lord, uh, they they talk about touching the Eucharist to one's eyes, lips, and forehead, and of course we would never stand for that. So it's after that period that it came in. Now I was taught as a little kid by the dear nuns that Saint John Chrysostom, when he saw some people taking the Blessed Sacrament home with them to use inappropriately in a superstitious way, he commanded that. They no longer receive in the hand, but on the tongue. I don't know if that's a true story or not, but but it's about in that time space that that uh, it became much more common for lay people not to touch the blessed sacrament. Okay, I hope that helps. Now let me. I've got. Uh, let me click there. I thank the Lord. The computer seems to be going away. Ah, this is about Bethlehem of Galilee. What is the difference between Bethlehem of Galilee and Bethlehem of Judea? Well, one is in Galilee and one is in Judea. Uh, Galilee is a, a couple days, well, three, almost four days walk north of Judea. Uh, they're two different places, both named Bethlehem. Beth, the word Bethlehem means uh, uh, city of, of, of uh, uh, or the house of bread, rather. And uh, this was called Bethlehem Zebulun in, in the area of Zebulon. So, in um, Bethlehem, uh, Bethlehem uh, Yehudi, uh, the province of Judah. So, it's it's very near to Nazareth, uh, but it has nothing to do with the Bethlehem of Galilee, but inter- or Bethlehem of Judea, where Jesus was born, and 
they were really um, um, very. Uh, that was a very strong tradition, even in um, uh, the the 100s. So, so the place is probably a pretty good. Um, uh, it's probably pretty. What's the word I'm looking for? A pretty accurate tradition, probably that Jesus was born in what is now the grotto underneath the church of the nativity in Bethlehem. This one's from Jim. And he, what are my thoughts about celebrating a baptism during mass? Does this distract from the focus of the sacrifice? No, it can, it can become a distraction if, if it becomes the celebration of, of, uh, of somebody's birthday. I mean, you know, you'll, I've seen baptisms where the the ritual is much departed from, and it becomes like a a, a rite of passage, and uh, that's never appropriate. But baptism in mass, remember that the the quintessential place for a baptism is in the the Easter vigil, which includes mass on Holy Saturday night. So I don't think it's appropriate, but it should be done simply and without a great deal of of uh, What's the word? Uh, a great deal of emphasis on, oh, you're going to name her Tiffany. Oh, it's such a beautiful name. You know, that kind of stuff. You get you get this sort of thing. It, it, that, that If the celebrant distracts from the purpose, well, <laughs> that's, that's going to happen. But um, no, I don't think it's inappropriate. I, I would think it, it should be limited to certain times so that... Uh, people will know that this is going to happen and not be surprised by it. But the celebration of baptism really is and should be uh, something that's a, a great joy to the parish, uh, to celebrate the birth of a child or to celebrate the the initiation into the faith of someone who is uh, not a child. This is about the whole community. So it is appropriate at, at, at the sacrifice of the Mass because baptism, too, is a sacrament, which means an oath to the death. When you are baptized uh, or when you offer your child to be baptized, you're giving yourself or you're giving them to the Lord. So it is appropriate in the Mass. It's part of a sacrificial gesture. So I don't think it's inappropriate, but it shouldn't be uh, uh, done as if it was a... Uh, sort of pep rally. Uh, that's me. Speaking of pep rallies, let's go to a break. We'll come back with a word of the day. And uh, phone calls at 888-914-9149. I think the lawnmower is completely gone now. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Well, you may run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Let me tell you, got a mother, she's gonna cook you down. Go tell that long tongue lie. Oh, well, well. Go tell that midnight rider. Oh, well, well. Well, here we are again. Elvis singing gospel. Oh, what a country. All right, let's. It's not for Mass. It's a great song, but it's not for Mass. All right, let's go to the word of the day. 
Again, again with this, please forgive me, but I really think this is a very important idea, which is why I talk about it just about every other day. If the Lord Jesus appointed 72 disciples in the Eastern Church, they call them the 70 apostles or the 72 apostles. Some say 70, some say 72. I thought there were 12 apostles. As I point out to you, just about once a week at least, there were lots and lots of apostles because the word apostle means missionary. There were only 12 of the 12. All of the 12 were missionaries, but not all the missionaries were members of the 12. Titus, Luke, they're counted among the the 70 or 72, depending on which source you read, um, disciples slash apostles. But what the word here that makes it apostles, he sent them ahead of it in pairs. Apostle, and he apostled them in prayers. Now, why do I beat this axe or beat this horse so frequently or grind this axe so regularly? Because you can't really understand the New Testament until you understand that concept. We're first of all, the people will make the, the the case that Paul had a hard time with the apostles. You read this in Galatia, and that somehow Paul was the first Protestant, Peter was the first Catholic. On the contrary, after Christ, the founder of the Catholic Church was Paul. He understood it was universal and not just a sect of Judaism. Uh, so uh, Paul never had a problem with Peter and James and John or the Twelve. Uh, he was delegated by them. It's these people who claim, well, I, I was delegated by Jesus too. These so self-styled apostles, he called them. And they say, you're not an apostle, Paul. You didn't even know Jesus, and you persecuted the church. And so Paul, in many of his writings, defends his apostolicity, that he was delegated. A second element, which to me is absolutely important. An apostle has no authority except the authority to faithfully convey a message. He is a delegate. He is a missionary. He's sent to bring a message. It was a fairly common word in in the ancient world that, that an apostle, a successor to the apostles, does not improvise. They share as faithfully as they possibly and humanly can the the message that they were with which they were entrusted. So I think it's very important to understand the nature of apostolicity. We, our church is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. It's holy because we have the communion of saints. Even though there are sinners in the church, we have our, especially our Blessed Mother. I've often said that the church was at one time had only one person in it, and thus she was holy. Uh, um, the church is one. Uh, it doesn't seem to be one, but as God sees it, it is one. And our divisions and our unkindness to each other, uh, whether they're in the form of Demas and Alexander the coppersmith in the reading, uh, or, or now, they grieve the Lord because the Lord sees the church as one. The church is universal. It reaches throughout all space and time, um, and it's apostolic. The only authority that anyone in the church has is to hand on the message. We don't improvise. We don't. Uh, we don't add. We don't subtract. Um, I think that that you've often heard me say this. The very contradictions that seem to appear in the gospel was there one angel in the res in the tomb at the resurrection? Were there two angels? Did he go to Galilee? Did he go to the Mount of Olives after the resurrection? Uh, what's going on here? Those very seeming contradictions 
are a testimony to the apostolicity of the church because we didn't fix the story. We didn't get the story straight. We've handed on what we received in those four gospels. We received them and we haven't fixed them. We haven't amended them. We haven't cleaned them up. So they, they, they agree better in terms of chronology and, and uh, story. No, this is what we received and this is what we hand on. That's apostolicity. It isn't, uh, yeah, I'm in charge here. No, that's not what an apostle is. An apostle is someone who faithfully hands on that for which he was delegated. All right, that said, let's go to uh, let's go to some Ahoy. phone calls. 888-914-9149. Ahoy. Who we got? Jordan from St. Paul, Minnesota. Are you with us? Hello, Father. How you the doing? What can I do for I you? Had, um, so in 2023 in the Vatican, there's going to be a synod on synodality, which I learned yes. uh, just this last Sunday at Mass. Um, and I was wondering what that's all about, what it's supposed to be accomplishing. It kind of sounds like a meeting talking about how we have meetings, and it seems kind of abstract and like it won't be accomplishing much, but I would like to hear what you know about what it's uh, what it's supposed to be doing. Well, the synod on synodality, well, you know, I've, I've been to a lot of meetings in my life, and I can remember four of them. This is not uh, at the level of... Uh, um, of, of an ecumenical council, but it's kind of hard to say what it really is. It's a two-year process. Uh, it, it, it's You see, the church has gotten very large, and it's spread throughout the world. And the idea of a, a, a synod, uh, the Pope, the Holy Father, is looking for consultation on ideas. Uh, he wants to hear uh, what the needs are in, in different places. Uh, synod is a Greek word that means walking the road together. So a synod is a long tradition uh, in, in the church that where bishops come together to discuss issues. Those were called synods, walking together on the road. And the current pontiff very much wants to, to expand uh, this, the consultative nature, uh, of the church. So that's, that's as far as I know, whether it will be successful, a failure, or just something that, that no one actually notices. Who knows? But, you know, we pray that, that good things will come from it. And I would urge everyone to pray that the Holy Spirit is listened to in, in this synod. It isn't at the, it isn't, uh, at the doctrinal level, for instance, of an ecumenical council, um, but it, it's, it's an important meeting to discuss, I think, the way that we make decisions in the church. That's as I understand it, and I, um, you know, I, I'm not, I can figure out a Greek verb, but I'm not much of a, a theologian or a canonist, so does that help a little? It does. Thank you, Father. All right. Well, and I urge everyone, please, that keep it in your prayers because, uh, you know, uh, it's it's a tough role that bishops have. But, you know, I, I think people worry that they're going to create new doctrine. And 
no, they will deal with pastoral problems. We cannot create new doctrine in the church. As I said in that thing about apostolicity, these are the successors to the apostles. And thus they, they, they cannot and do not change the message. So there you go. All right. Who we got now? Let's take another phone call. Jose from New Mexico. Are you with? I love New Mexico. This big sky. It's beautiful. What can I do for you, Jose? Hi, Father. Hello. Good. What? Well, there we go. Hello, Hello. What can I do for you? Hello. I had I had my my phone in my pocket and I couldn't get it out. And, uh, I have a question. Oh, that happens. Um, <laughs> when you buy, a yeah, new it was dark in there. I'm looking around. Scapula. It was dark. <laughs> okay, again. Yeah. Uh, okay. When you buy a new scapula, do you uh, <laughs> does it have to be blessed? Oh, it should be. Uh, if you're enrolled in the in the in the brown scapula, it probably should be blessed. But have to uh, remember part of the function of the scapular. Um, uh, it, it's a good custom uh, to have, but it's the enrollment in the in the in the brown scapula that I think is important, and the uh, uh, the living up to the vocation of the brown scapula. Remember that that uh, it's not like an amulet or something like that. It, it's it's a commitment to a way of life. Every time you look at it, that you're to realize that that the spirituality of the Carmelite order is part of your spirituality. So it's the more important part is is uh, uh, I think is is the living up to the commitment of the brown scapular. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a good custom to have it blessed um, because you know I always I always point out that blessings are not magical at all, but they're a word. The devil is a very good historian, and he can see the entire, uh, he can't quite see into the future, but he can see the entire past quite well. And and he can see the the chain of, of the apostolic succession to Cardinal Cody, who ordained me. And when I bless something, I am imparting a blessing. And I'm someone who was prayed over by someone who was prayed over, someone who was prayed over by someone who was prayed over by someone who was prayed over, all the way back to Jesus. And the devil can see that. And it's a physical sign that that you belong to our Blessed Mother and that spirituality. So the blessing is, a, I, be, I think blessings are a statement to the unseen world, the invisible world, uh, in, in, in the that this part of the visible world, the seeable world, belongs to God in a unique way. So it's a good thing to have something blessed. Uh, but as I say, the, the spirituality is, is, is the, the more important element. Does that help a little? Yes, and I have a second question concerning the same thing. Sure. Uh, I read somewhere that if you, when your brown scapular wears out and you get a new, and you get a new, a new one, the blessing from the first scapular goes into the second scapular without having to have it blessed by a priest. Is that right? Well, I would I would say the blessing that's been imparted to you consecrates the new scapular. So I'd say in a certain sense, yeah. Yeah, the blessing remember this is not magic. This is this is these are not amulets. They're statements uh, of intention that you intend to live a holy life according to the spirituality uh of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And and so in that sense, yes. I would say that's true that 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 blessing which is resident in you would certainly be imparted to the new scapular but it still doesn't hurt to have it blessed that answer the question yes yes father thank you appreciate your answers all right appreciate your program well 
Thank you. Thanks for listening. I, I hope you enjoyed the lawnmower today. Oy. <laughs> Good grief. All right. Who have we got now? A dear voice in my head. Terry from Chicago, are you with us? Yes, Father, how are you? I, I'm I'm good. The mowing of the lawn has stopped. I'm a little calmer. What can I do for you? Okay. Um, so about six months ago, I asked some advice from a local priest about, you know, it turns, it turns unfortunately, it turns into a bit of a shouting match in our house every Sunday. Oh, dear. Uh, I've got to no. kind of holler at my kids every Sunday morning to get them uh, to church, my three boys. And, uh, Mm-hmm. And the priest will, you know, of course they don't want to go because they hear you hollering every Sunday. So just, you know, he advised me to stop doing that. Uh, and I did, but unfortunately, um, you know, they said the last six months they've just uh, stopped going. Um, and it doesn't make mm-hmm. it any easier because what, what happened was my wife also stopped going. So, you know, oh, gosh. with her not going, yeah, with her not going, it really... You know, for me to be able to get the boys out the oh, door gosh. and mask when they see their mom still in bed, it's not, you know. So I don't know if I should just kind of get back in their ear every Sunday or just what to do. I'm just not sure what to do. You know, I don't know if this is good advice or not, but I would, I would just, uh, uh, gosh. Oh, that just, that breaks your heart. Ultimately, kids usually do, in terms of church attendance, what they see their father doing, not their mother. And um, so I would, for a while, not push the issue. And I would I would go to church myself every Sunday without fail. And, uh, you know, uh, Christmas is coming up, right? And Thanksgiving, I would, um, this may, I don't know, really pray about this. I would say, why would we celebrate Thanksgiving? You don't believe in this stuff anymore. Why would we celebrate Christmas? You don't believe in this stuff anymore. I would, I would start to not celebrate the, the Christian feast or the, the feast of the calendar with them to say, this, this is what we're celebrating. And if you don't believe it anymore, you know, what's to celebrate? I'm going to celebrate it by going to church. Pray about that. It might be a little radical, but, uh, you know, that, that those feasts that, that they don't want to celebrate, you know, well, we want to celebrate Christmas. No, you don't. You want to celebrate Santa Claus. I don't celebrate Santa Claus. I celebrate the birth of the Lord. Well, we, we want to celebrate the family togetherness and all that at Thanksgiving. No, it's about thanking God. You know, if you don't want God in your life, well, there's a lot of things you don't want in your life. And I wouldn't yell at him. I would just say it like that. If you don't want God in your life, there's a lot of things you don't want in your life. And I feel really sad for you. And I'm really hurt that I failed you. I would put it that way to them. I'm sorry that I failed you. That that's that 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 hurts. Um, you haven't. You've done your best. But well, speaking of of doing one's best, Drew's coming up. So don't go nowhere.